All right. Good morning, everyone. How was everyone's week? Good? <laughs> well, let's start off with a word of prayer, shall we? And then we'll get started on the exciting topic of Mormonism. Father, we just want to come before you and um, just thank you for this wonderful opportunity that you've given us. That we can study your word freely, that we can gather together, um, we can discuss, and we can learn. We just ask that as we go out, uh, most importantly, that you keep us humble as we engage uh, and just bring to recollection our memory of those things that you'd want us to say. In Christ name I pray, amen. And everyone can hear me okay? Yeah? Okay, good. Yeah, hopefully we won't get yelled at again when they come in. So, to continue on our cult topic, this week is Mormonism. Um, so, has anyone ever encountered Mormons? Yeah, we all have. Um, has anyone ever come up against a Mormon and you're, and you're trying to engage with them or trying to witness to them and they just absolutely destroy you and you're humiliated? Yep, John and I both. Yeah. Um, so that's why I wanted to dive deep into this because I don't like that feeling. Uh, I don't like being just absolutely obliterated uh, by somebody that we know is wrong. And I've had a couple requests. Some folks have said that um, either that they are currently involved in someone's life that's in the LDS church. Um, a couple here in our church, their daughter actually married a Mormon. So, so there's a lot going on that we need to know. Unfortunately, well, you be the judge, but in my opinion, today's talk is a bit more dry. Um, you know, it's not going to be so dynamic because it's just kind of cut and paste. Here's what they believe, and here's what we believe, and here's why they're wrong kind of deal. But whenever you try to witness to a Mormon, it's kind of like trying to ice skate uphill. It's really hard to get a foothold because, well, why is that? So if you know what Mormonism teaches, well, then you're already well on your way but following are basic approaches that should help you in your dealings with Mormons. Um, none of these are foolproof, but they're going to provide you the basic framework, which is what my goal is today, to be able to witness to a Mormon, and it's up to you to use what you've learned, develop more skills, and perfect your method as you go. Remember, unfortunately, the best way to witness is, well, to do it, right? <coughs> Excuse me. So there's a couple important things to know before you begin evangelizing to Mormons. The most important thing, I think, you need to understand that their definitions to the biblical words that we use, like Trinity and Jesus, salvation, heaven, etc., are not the same. We are talking about two very different things when we use those terms. And that's where pretty much any debate, it doesn't matter who you're with or who you're going up against, where that starts to, to come into play. Because if you're not defining the terms identically, then it just goes all over the map, right? So second, you have to be able to show them that they believe in the wrong Jesus, not the Jesus of the Bible. It's important because only the true Jesus gives eternal life, like in John 10, reveals the Father, Matthew 11, and sends out the Holy Spirit, John 15. So to witness means what? Well, you must teach. Means And to teach means you must understand. To understand means you must know and not only what you believe, but also what they believe. So here's some of the terminology. Remember, I said that's the most important part is defining the terms. And what we use when we're defining something, what they use are very different things. So first one, the Trinity. The Mormon does not mean the historical Orthodox tri Trinity of one God who exists in three persons. 
To a Mormon, the Trinity is a position held by three separate gods. They are three separate and distinct beings, right? The Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. Remember that the correct doctrine of the Trinity is what? That there's only one God that has existed in three persons from eternity. When a Mormon says he believes in God, he does not mean the one true God, the creator of all things, the one who's always existed. He means he believes in a God, little g, who used to be a man on another planet. Big difference between them and us. Who followed the laws and ordinances of that little g God on that planet, and then he became exalted to Godhood, and to top it all off, he has a wife who is a goddess, little g. So if you're in a witnessing situation with Mormons, you might be using the same words, but you will not be speaking the same language. I know JC is gonna listen to this online. JC, I'm talking to you. Because uh, I remember he brought that up before he even knew I was going to have this talk today that he's engaging with Mormons. He's like, I don't think we're talking about the same thing. No, you're not. So it's a very good idea to study some of the terminology differences. And I'll give you some references at the end that you can pick up, books or whatnot, where you can uh, compare and contrast the true definitions. So first thing when you talk to a Mormon, what's the first thing that, that kind of comes out? They have a testimony, Right. Mormons will bear their testimony and tell you that they know that the Mormon church is true, uh, that Joseph Smith was a true prophet of God, okay? So how do we respond to this? So, right, that's what we ask, okay? So how do we respond? You ask them where their testimony is. What's their response? In my heart, they'll say, okay? So what's our response? Define testimony. Or how, how, te or how trustworthy is our heart? What does the Bible say about our heart? Yeah, exactly. And that's what we say. Did you know that the Bible says not to trust your heart because it's deceitful? The, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? Jeremiah 17, 9. Second, you ask them, how did you get your testimony? And they're going to say, the Holy Spirit gave me my testimony. Okay, you ask them, well, who bears witness of the truth? They're going to say, well, the Holy Spirit bears witness of the truth. Holy Spirit. When you ask them who bears witness of the truth, they say the Holy Spirit does. And this is where it starts to get slippery because technically you show them that the Holy Spirit bears witness of not what, but who? Jesus, right? John 15, 26. And that Jesus sends out the Holy Spirit. Once you've shown them that the Holy Spirit is sent from Jesus, you ask them if a false Jesus will send the true Spirit of God. And of course, the answer is going to be no, right? Why would a false Jesus send out the true Spirit of God? The point is that only the Jesus of the Bible will send the Holy Spirit. If they don't have the right Jesus, then they can't have the true Holy Spirit, and their testimony is what? Invalid. Does that make sense? Right? So praying about the Book of Mormon is the next topic of discussion that, uh, when you have these interactions with Mormons. Mormons believe that if you read the Book of Mormon, and then you pray and ask God whether or not it is true, you will receive a testimony from the Holy Spirit verifying its truth. Okay, are you guys beginning to notice uh, this theme here? That, you know, you just have to have pray, or like what Mike brought up with Joyce Meyer this morning, you know, your faith is just what I say. You have to believe what I'm saying is true. There's no outside reference, right? They're saying that if you just pray, then the Spirit's going to reveal to you that the Book of Mormon is indeed true. You're going to receive that testimony from the Spirit, verifying its truth. And if it is true, then Joseph Smith is true, and so is Mormonism. And many Mormons claim to have this exact testimony. First off, does God ever claim in Scripture to pray about truth? 
I'm going to word this very carefully. Does God ever say to pray about truth? No. He says to search the scriptures to find truth. Okay? It's a slight difference, but it becomes really important in your dealings with Mormons in Acts 17.11 and 2 Timothy 3.16. is where God tells us to search the scriptures to find truth rather than to pray to find truth. Why would he phrase it like that, do you think? Well, it takes our subjectivity out of the equation. So then the truth comes from our revelation? No, it comes from the word of God. So what the Mormon is doing here is unbiblical, although very slight. Do you you see that point there? Okay. I mean, they're not just going to come out and say, hey, by the way, do you know that you are a living God and you can have your own planet? I mean, that's just weird. Okay. That's going to, whoa, it comes in these slight forms where you just gradually start to twist things. Second, it doesn't matter what you feel. We know that about the heart. If what you feel contradicts the Bible, then what you feel is wrong 100% of the time. Third, you ask them if they ever had to pray about the Bible to see if it is true. Because they told us we have to pray about the Book of Mormon to see if it's true, right? Well, why don't you guys pray about the Bible to see if it's true? Of course, they haven't. So then why are we supposed to pray about the Book of Mormon? I've never had a good answer on that question, by the way, when I've asked them, have you prayed about the Bible to see if it's true? Because I've had them ask me to pray about the Book of Mormon to see if it's true. I've never received a good answer. Their answer is circular at this point. The answer is that the Book of Mormon says to pray about it, okay? The book you're telling me is true tells you to tell people to pray about it to see if it's true. Well, that's a little odd. Yeah, try. Joseph Smith has actually rewritten some of the Bible itself. To coincide with it. Right, right. And you'll get to a point like, this is like, oh, oh, oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I'll be referencing it. Okay. Yep. Yep. I'm way ahead, of you, Charlie. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. We're we're going there. Still, the Bible says to study God's word for truth, not to pray about it. Are you, are you guys understanding the difference that I'm getting here? So you're not going to be like, oh my gosh, Sean's gone off, gone off the deep end. He doesn't say that, the, <laughs> you know, to pray for truth. No, no, no. I'm telling you that the scriptures do never once say that you need to pray for them to reveal truth because that would be subjective. You know, the truth that we would come up with would be of our own doing rather than the word of God. And here it is, Charlie. A common verse that Mormons use to support their belief that you can pray about the Book of Mormon is found in James chapter 1, verse 5. Here, this is what it says. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and will be given to him. They say that because since they believe they're sincere, God will answer them. That's the reasoning. Well, first of all, what's the problem with sincerity? Well, it becomes workspace righteousness. Because the person is saying, because of my sincerity, God will listen to me. So who's taking the credit, right? It's just like with the Word of Faith movement. If, you know, your loved one is sick, according to the Word of Faith movement, and you pray for healing and they're not healed, well, what's the problem? You don't have enough faith, right? Uh, See how convenient that that is? That it just brings it back, well, you don't have enough faith. Or you're not sincere enough because it's not being revealed to you. In other words, because of what's inside of the person, God will look favorably upon him. Oh, that's very disturbing. 
that is nowhere near biblical. God does not look into a person and find something good because there is no good in any one person. Romans 3 and Ephesians 2. There is none good, no, not even one, right? Second, this verse is about wisdom. It is not about praying to see if the Book of Mormon is true. Two very different things. In James 1.1, it said, James, a servant of God, specifically bondservant, and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes scattered among the nations, greetings. So the book of James was written to those who were believers and already had the truth, right? He wasn't writing that you would find the truth to non-believers. That's why James calls them brothers in verse 2. Third, wisdom is what? It's the proper use of knowledge, not the acquisition of knowledge. Do you guys understand the difference? So wisdom... um, (laughs) Okay, the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is knowing a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. (laughs) Right? Does that make more more sense? That would be a really weird and gross salad, in my opinion. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is not putting it in a fruit salad. Not putting tomatoes in a fruit salad. I think that'd be weird mixed with grapes and apples and pears and things. You acquire, <laughs> you acquire true spiritual knowledge from the Bible, not from your heart. That leads to, I mean, golly, wherever. You know, we've seen last time when I spoke, we've seen Joyce Meyer and just all over the map and everything else where, you know, whatever comes from your heart. You don't pray about the Book of Mormon. You pray about the truth you've learned from the Bible, and you ask God to teach you more on how to apply it properly of what he's already shown you. So here's the important part when we're having our interactions with Mormons. What is the gospel? That's the ultimate question. How do you get to heaven, right? What is the gospel? So the following approach, in my experience, has been direct, and it's been hard-hitting in your interactions with Mormons. Sometimes it's necessary to be blunt in order to get their attention, because they're kind of want to, you know, wander all over. So I ask them, what is the gospel? Plain and simple. Ask a Mormon, what is the gospel? Well, their response is going to be something like, the gospel is the laws and ordinances of the Mormon church. Ah, wrong. No, it's not. Ask again what it is, and listen closely for any hint of the free forgiveness of sins through the sacrifice of Christ on the cross and repentance. You'll usually hear an answer dealing with works, obedience, doing something, etc. It won't deal with the free forgiveness of sins through Christ and repentance. After the person has answered, explain, according to the scriptures, the gospel is what saves us. It's what cleanses us from our sins. And it's what enables us to stand in the presence of God the Father. Explain that the Bible specifically defines the gospel and that the gospel is what makes you a Christian and then ask them again, what is the gospel. See, this is an easy way, in my opinion, to have those conversations with Mormons, because then you don't get off on all these crazy rabbit trails. You're not going to start talking about polygamy. You're not going to start talking about the planet Kolob, right? All this stuff that just distracts you from the truth. And it's the truth regardless of who you're talking to. If you're talking to an atheist, if you're talking to a far leftist, if you're talking to a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon, it doesn't matter. What is the core conversation we should be having? What is the gospel? How do you get to heaven after you die? You only got two options here, right? After we die. Heaven or hell, that's it. See, after you've heard a workspace righteousness from them, answer. Now we turn in our scriptures to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 4, and read this. Quote, now brothers, 
I want to remind you of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word that I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. Directly from Paul. That is the gospel. So what do we do? We explain that the gospel, the true gospel, is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ for our sins. Not and. There's no and after that. There's no having to go on a two-year-long missionary journey. It's just that. Then turn where? Well, then we go one book over to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 through 4. And read again, quote, And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. Ugh, that's kind of a sobering thought, isn't it? The God of this age, little g, has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, capital G. Well, that, in my opinion, is a very sobering passage to read and understand of anybody. Because what does that mean? It means you do not clearly understand the gospel, the message of Christ as our Savior, and the Bible shows why, because you have been blinded, period. So then in Mormons, uh, once we're talking about the gospel, then we get into us, right? The great apostates. We're the ones that fell away, right? The great apostasy. Mormonism maintains that the true gospel message was lost from the earth shortly after the apostles died. So here's one of the Mormon apostles, Orson Pratt. He said this, Jesus established his kingdom on earth, the kingdoms of this world made war against the kingdom of God, established 18 centuries ago, and they prevailed against it, and the kingdom ceased to exist. This is in the journal Discourses. But what did Jesus actually say? He said, quote, And I say unto you, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Matthew 16, 18. So as you can see, Mormonism contradicts completely what Jesus said. That's why they must say that the Bible is not trustworthy. They have to have these extra books. That is, it isn't trustworthy wherever and whenever it disagrees with Mormonism. Um, okay. Yeah, Charlie. I've noticed, noticed a lot of them. Um, they put more emphasis on the Book of Mormon than they ever do the Bible. Almost, oh, yeah. I've gotten the sense, like, almost like they just, yeah, you're right. It's like, well, don't trust this. We go on this. Yep. Well, and then, I mean, then when you, it's not when you're witnessing to them, it's when you start to get involved in the Mormon church, then it becomes the doctrine of covenants and then the pearl of great price, right? So since Mormonism claims to be the restoration of the true gospel, it also claims to have the authority to perform priestly duties and therefore properly represents God here on earth. So all offices of the Mormon church grow out of these priesthoods. Which priesthoods? Well, the first one they claim is Melchizedek. <laughs> This is the greater priesthood. It consists of several offices, elder, 70, high priest, patriarch, or evangelist, and apostle. Then they go on to the Aaronic priesthood, a part of the greater Melchizedek priesthood. Quite simply, the Bible contradicts what Mormons believe concerning the priesthood. Jesus is what? The only high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Do you guys want all those verses if you're taking notes? I'll, I'll name them anyways for those that are listening online. It's Hebrews chapter 3, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 5. Verse 6, verse 10, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 20, Hebrews 7, 11, Hebrews 15, the whole chapter, 17, 21, 24, 26, Hebrews 8, 1, and Hebrews 9, 11. So basically, just 
go through Hebrews, right? <laughs> and you're going to find it. Where Jesus, who went before us, has entered on our behalf, he has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek, Hebrews 6.20. It's as clear as day. Many gods. Now, this one comes up later um, in, in your conversations with Mormons as far as the many gods, because they know that if you lead with that, like I said, that everyone's going to be, whoa, wait, what? What do you mean? Right? Paganism is not something that's, well, at least not universally accepted right now. I'm assuming it will be in, in years to come. But one of the truly dividing lines between Orthodox Christianity and Mormonism is their doctrine of the ah, <laughs> plurality of gods, many gods. Mormonism teaches that there are many, many, many gods. Mormon doctrine, where does this come from? Well, by Bruce McConaughey, page 163, teachings, pages 348 through 349. So in their desire for legitimacy, they're even going to quote 1 Corinthians 8, 5 to say that the Bible also teaches many gods. Well, what does 1 Corinthians 8, 5 say? It says, for even if there are so-called gods, little g, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. So they say what? Well, you see, the Bible even teaches that there are many gods. John, did you run across this when you were dealing with them? Yeah? Okay. So what's our response to that? Uh, don't you know that you are gods? Yes. Yep. Right. So it says that there are many that are called gods. That's a vast difference than that are, right? Being called something versus being actually something are two very different things. It doesn't say they really are gods. It says that they're only called gods, and the scripture recognizes that there are false gods, like in Galatians 4.8. Besides, the Bible flatly denies the existence of any other gods. John, you're asking me about Isaiah 43. Here it is. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. Before me was no God formed, nor will there be one after me. Isaiah 43.10. That's pretty clear. Besides being no God. Yep. Isaiah 45.5. I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God besides me. Right. And I always, I always laughed. If anyone doesn't think that, well... I'm going to say this carefully, but in, in Isaiah 44, 6 and 8, it almost sounds as if God is being sarcastic, right? I am the first and the last apart from me. There is no God. Is there any other God besides me? No, I don't know of any. I mean, he's like just, you know, giving this kind of sarcastic. Is there any other? I don't know any. Show me one. So in kind of a nutshell, if we were to um, take detailed, you know, to just have a cheat sheet, like in the front of your Bible, what does Mormonism teach? I mean, if you... It, yeah, no, I will. I mean, I, I got to ask, like, the tech guys how I can, you know, put stuff online, like, if I want to throw um, notes. Is, is that a thing, Margaret? Can we do that? If we can put, like, notes or slides or something online when people are listening, then you can kind of click. Is that a thing? Like, like, if I wanted to... Because this is recorded, right, on our website, and you can go listen to it. If we can have like an attachment off to the right or something where it you know shows slides or something and or references, right? It, okay, okay. So I'll I'll do that. I'll come up with this little cheat sheet that you can just cut and put on the inside of your Bible. So here's about six or sorry five of the basics that Mormonisms teach that are way way different from Orthodox Christianity. Number one, God came from another planet. Number two, God is a man with a body of flesh and bones. Three, there is a mother goddess. Four, God and his goddess wife are married. And number five, you can become gods. 
So, any moms in here? Do any of you moms want to be eternally pregnant? Does that sound like heaven? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, if my daughter's listening to this, she's pregnant with twins, and I, and I want to ask her, sis, do, do you want to continue this in, in perpetuity? Like, it will never end? Does that sound like heaven? <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think so. I'll put this online, too, if after I figure it out how to do it. Um, it's kind of a, a chart that I've made, a comparison cheat sheet, like little chart of how the main differences between Christianity and Mormonism and giving the verses. So remember when I was talking about defining the terms uh, with Mormons? Here's where it really helps. So what's the first topic? Um, theology proper, the, the theology of God, right? Christian view, there's only one. Um, John read a whole bunch of them out of Isaiah 43, 44, 45. What does Mormonism say? And they, the gods, said, let there be light, and there was light. That's in their uh, book of Abraham. God has always been God. He didn't become that way, right? Psalm 90, verse 2, Isaiah 57, 15. What does Mormonism say? Quote, God himself was once as we are now and is an exalted man. He sits enthroned in yonder heavens. We have imagined that God was God from all eternity, I will refute that idea and take away the veil so that you may see. Where'd that come from? Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 345. Pretty plain. What else does scripture teach us? God is a spirit without flesh and bones. John 4:24, Luke 24:39. Mormons, this is in Articles of Faith, their book. The Father has a body of flesh and bones as tangible as man's. That's in the Doctrine of Covenants. Quote, here's the other one from the Articles of Faith. Therefore, we know that both the Father and the Son are in form and stature perfect men. Each of them possesses a tangible body of flesh and bones. Another historical uh, Christian teaching, the doctrine of the Trinity, right? Rather important one. What does Mormonism teach? The Trinity is three separate gods, the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. Quote, that these three are separate individuals, physically distinct from each other is demonstrated by the accepted records of divine dealings with man. That's the Articles of Faith by James Talmadge, page 35, and that was written in 1984. Jesus, what are some historical doctrines about Christ? Virgin birth, for one, rather important, right? What do they say? The birth of the Savior was as natural as are the births of our children. It was the result of natural action. He partook of flesh and blood, was begotten of his father as we are of our fathers. Oh boy. Also, Christ was begotten by an immortal father in the same way that mortal men are begotten by mortal fathers. Well, Jesus is the eternal son in Orthodox Christianity, right? Well, in Mormonism, Jesus is the literal spirit brother of Lucifer, a creation. That's in their book, Gospel Through the Ages, page 15. The literal brother of Lucifer is Christ in Mormonism. The Holy Spirit in Orthodox Christianity is the third person of the Trinity, right? Mormonism distinguishes between the Holy Spirit, God's presence, via an essence, it's not a person, an essence, and the Holy Ghost, the third God in the Mormon doctrine of the Trinity. He, the Holy Ghost, is a being endowed with the attributes and powers of deity and not a mere force or essence. Okay, I think one of these times we'll do a class on the doctrine of the Trinity because even 
Orthodox Christians, we, we get confused, right? We'll, we'll try and do um, analogies when we're trying to explain it to somebody. Like we'll take, you know, a hard-boiled egg, for example, you know, and you can say you have the shell, you have the white, and you have the yolk. And there you go. You have three um, essences of the egg. No, that's, that's not an accurate representation of the Trinity because, you know, the shell by itself cannot be wholly egg, right? The, the white by itself cannot be fully egg. You, you get where I'm going. So we, we have to throw out these analogies that we get, and, and we'll do this later, I promise. We'll have a whole just on the, you know, how to try, my best at least, um, to make sense of the doctrine of the Trinity. You know, you don't want to, um, again, just basically throw out all the analogies. You know, if you want to say, like, take me, um, I'm a husband, I'm a father, and I'm also a brother to my sister, right? Well, no, that's called modalism. That's another ancient heresy, meaning that I'm acting in different roles depending on where I'm at, right? So just ignore, ignore, ignore the, the analogies for now. We'll deal with that. But just know that the orthodox doctrine of the Trinity is God is not three separate individual gods. Um, I'll, I'll give you a hint real quick, and it's just our problem with time. Right? That's the only thing that kind of messes us up from understanding the doctrine of the Trinity because we're stuck right here in time. Right? It's very difficult to understand how you can have three separate individual persons in literally occupying the same place, space at the same, quote, time. Well, if time's removed, then that's not really an issue. Again, we'll get into that. <laughs> well, yeah. So salvation. What is salvation in, uh, in scriptures? Well, it's the forgiveness of sins, and it's the deliverance of the sinner from damnation. It's a free gift received by God's grace, Ephesians 2, Romans 6. It can't be earned, Romans 11. Very, very clear. Salvation, according to uh, Mormonism, has a double meaning. Remember, I was talking about those terms that we need to define. Um, It means universal resurrection. So, quote, the first effect of the atonement is to secure to all mankind alike exemption from the penalty of the fall, thus providing a plan of general salvation. The second effect is to open a way for individual salvation, whereby mankind may secure remission of personal sins. So it's not by works, people. I I can't hammer that enough. There is no works that we can do that will earn our salvation. You're not good enough. And if you were, um, so to give you a preview of what next week's going to be, next week's going to be Seventh-day Adventism. If you were able to earn your salvation, what was the point of Christ? Why did he have to come? Why did the Son of God have to die? Can anyone answer that? If you're able to do anything for it, what's the point? I mean, that was the greatest um, atrocity that would have ever happened in human history for Christ to come and die if there's anything that we can do. What do Mormons say about that? All these sins are the result of individual acts. It is just that forgiveness for them should be conditioned on individual compliance with prescribed requirements. Let me kind of repackage that and rephrase that. They're saying that basically there's no original sin. Um, Sin is based on what you are doing, your individual acts of sin. So therefore, forgiveness should be your individual acts of complying to some type of law or ordinance in order to forgive them. What about the Bible? Well, what does Orthodox Christianity say about the Bible? 2 Timothy 3.16, right? All scripture, all of it. It's the inspired, inerrant word of God. It's authoritative in everything that it addresses. So what does Mormon say about the Bible? 
quote, we believe the Bible to be the word of God as far as it is translated correctly. Oh, that's how that's opened up, right? Then you can get to, well, it hasn't been translated correctly. So this is only a brief sample of many, many differences between Christianity and Mormonism. And, you know, how, how far and um, how long you end up digging, it, it's just going to depend on who's in your life, really. Uh, JC listening online, I'm sure he's going to dig a, a lot further because he's now involved with somebody. A couple from our church, if my daughter had uh, married a Mormon, yeah, I would dig extremely deeply uh, so I can make sure to witness to she and her husband. So as you can see, there's quite vastly different doctrines. It starts out, you know, kind of just a, eh, a little hair difference, and then it just widens very far from there. See, God cannot be uncreated and created at the same time, right? Does, does that make sense? There cannot be only one God and many gods at the same time. The Trinity cannot be one God in three persons and three gods in an office known as the Trinity. See, these teachings are what's known as mutually exclusive. They, they can't exist at the same time. This is important because faith is as only as good as the object in which it's placed. You guys have heard me say this before. Is the Mormon God the real one, or is the God of the historic and biblical Christianity the real one? Because where you're placing your faith is extremely important. I would want to be right. Mormonism is obviously not the biblical version of Christianity, not even close. It is not Christian, and Mormons serve a vastly different God than Christians do, a God that doesn't exist, actually. Paul talks about this in Galatians 4.8, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those by which nature are no gods, little g. So only the God of the Bible exists. There are no others. Mormonism puts faith in a non-existent God. Yeah. Does Mormonism deal with creation? They do. If we're people, if gods are people, then where did they come from? Right. And I, I love that you're asking the, the logical questions, right? Because when you start to have these logical questions and you ask them with whoever you're, you're engaging with, whether it be Mormons or even Hindus, and that first point, creation, right? If gods are people that just exalted themselves to God, uh, I mean, how did this begin, right? There, right. I mean, there had to be something greater. I mean, you can't have, oh, I wish we had a painting, but you can't have a painting on the wall you know, without an artist to have painted it. I mean, that's just kind of, kind of common logic. Talking with a Hindu one time about reincarnation. I'm like, well, that's a, that's a mathematical problem. Well, how do you say? What do you mean, how do I say? Last time I checked, the world increases in population every year, right? So if we're all being reincarnated, then someone is up there printing souls. Like something is happening here, you know? There's, there's, we're not just getting recycled. Because we have a vast mathematical problem. So the doctrines of uh, Mormonism, the, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, they're interesting. Uh, most of the odd ones are not initially taught. So you're not going to get exposed to the super weird stuff when you're first um, uh, dealing with Mormons. Like, I mean, the really weird stuff, you know, holy underwear, that kind of stuff. That's not going to come up to potential converts. They should be. They should definitely be. Um, instead, they're revealed later, quote, is what they say, as one matures and gains the ability to accept them. Nope, not yet. Nope, they specifically say that the, well, the weird stuff is what I call it, but they're going to say the more, you know, 
seasoned tenets of the faith, quote, they are revealed later as one matures and gains the ability to accept them. Doesn't that send out red flags to anybody? I'm a great Mormon, what happens next? Yeah. And then if I reach that level of excellency, what happens next? Yeah. And I, I ask them, so what's the ultimate? Yeah. As a Mormon, what is your yeah. ultimate goal? Right. And I have them answer. Uh-huh. I'm just trying to learn. I'm just asking you a question. I've never asked that one. What was the response? What would they say? Yeah, what did they say? Well, well they'll, they'll say, you know, some say, well, well, you become like God, you know, and, and you, you create a higher level of uh, Consciousness, enlightenment, and all this, and, and so I have a problem with that. And how does that differ from what the Christian Bible? Yeah, yeah. I'll have them. I'll, I'll ask them instead of making them wait, me wait. If I become a Christian, right, right. What's the, what's the steps to this, and how how much do I have to do? Yeah. What's what's the measuring stick? <laughs> Golly, Charlie. Not only that, but um, those who might notice, um, there's like three levels of heaven: there's terrestrial, right. Mm-hmm. And it's in hopes to reach the, the higher one, kind of like a, I almost don't want to say it's, it's almost like reaching the bottom. Right. But, uh, yeah, so um, I, I've actually, uh, uh, was it a, pre- a state president, I think they called it, the president of Twitter? Uh-huh. Um, and actually, I couldn't believe he said this. He says, uh, it, it's almost, uh, you're going to make it to the lower one regardless. It's almost worth just killing yourself. I thought, like no killing yourself? way. You might as just have killed yourself because uh, you will reach at least that one I'm going to do. Wow. Uh, so wow. I just had a bad evil sense. When did this all come out? Uh, let's see, let me get the date right. Anyone remember when Joseph Smith supposedly translated the plates from Moroni? It was like 1845 or something, right? Is, is that 45 or 46? I can't remember the exact date. Okay, that's, that's when it happened. So um, I, should have, I should have hooked up to the, to the computer because they, they have, quote, evidences um, of, you know, hieroglyphs of Joseph Smith translating, Egyptian hieroglyphs, Mary, you probably know what I'm talking about, of Joseph Smith translating um, these golden plates from the angel Moroni, which gave him the Book of Mormon, which was the true gospel, remember, because the true gospel was, was lost. Well, when you actually have a, a, a real Egyptologist taking a look at these hieroglyphs, like what they're saying and what it's actually saying aren't even close to the same thing. And let's, you know, let's... Uh, get down to it, how, how was this happened? How did um, Joseph Smith, you know, basically an illiterate pioneer, translate ancient Coptic uh, glyphs on golden plates handed to him? How did he do it? Well, he did it by magic rocks that he put into his hat and held over these golden plates to translate them. Anyone seeing an issue yet? I mean, you know... <laughs> yeah, maybe a little psilocybe mushrooms. I don't know at that point. See, the LDS Church tries to make its official doctrines, like the ones that are stated online or to the public, appear Christian, but what underlies those Christian-sounding terms is very far from Christian in meaning. Remember, I said define the terms. What they're saying and what we're saying aren't the same thing, even remotely. See, the following are teachings of uh, its officials throughout the years. So these um, teachings are documented from Mormon writers, and they're not anti-Mormon writers, so I'm not being unfair here. I'm actually using real Mormon writers. These statements come from within Mormonism, not from outside it. And all the quotes that I have used, and I'm going to continue to use for the rest of today's time, are from Latter-day Saints. 
So what are some of these writings and what do they end up saying about them? So many of the Latter-day Saints, when I have brought this up in the past, say that most of these citations I'm going to give you that I've used are not from official Mormon writings, like as in the Book of Mormon, um, the Doctrine of Covenants, or the Pearl of Great Price, as if somehow that disproves what they teach because it's not from one of their official writings. So if they're not official, fine. Okay, cool. I'll, I'll give you that. But if not, then why have the Mormon apostles and high officials taught them and written them? And why are their books still sold in Mormon bookshelves or bookstores? Sorry. If, if you're saying that what they say isn't true, why are you still selling them in your bookstores? So what do they say about the atonement? Quote, Jesus paid for all our sins when he suffered in the Garden of Gethsemane. Huh? Right? I know. I saw Margaret. Wait, what? No. Is that when the atonement happened? No. No. Absolutely not. What else do they say? We accept Christ's atonement by repenting of our sins. What? Being baptized, receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, and obeying all of the commandments. I know. It's right. Like what Margaret said, it's, it's all our work then. Nothing. They deny it. Not deny it. it. It happened, but it doesn't hold the authority of the atonement. Baptism. Have you guys heard of baptism for the dead in the Mormon church? Okay. This is from um, the Doctrines of Salvation, volume 2, page 141. This is a practice of baptizing each other in place of non-Mormons who are now dead. Their belief is that in the afterlife, the, quote, newly baptized person will be entered into a higher level of Mormon heaven. Like going to purgatory and then you go to heaven. Exactly. Yeah, different levels. What do they say about the Bible? Yeah, Charlie. It does. See, I've asked them about this, too. It, about baptism of the dead? Yeah. They didn't get to... To tell you, I mean, don't they have to freely walk, freely want to be baptized? How do you just make them? Even? So there's a scripture in there that talks about, uh, oh, it says like the baptism of the dead, you know, take them to twist that. 1 Corinthians 15, 29. Yeah. Yeah. No, what no. Say, yeah, what's it say, John? Enough, enough reasoning, and, and you might believe it. Oh, yeah. says, uh, ethics of denying resurrection. Otherwise, what will they do who are baptized for the dead if the dead do not rise at all? Why then are they baptized for the dead? Why then should we stand in jeopardy? So it has more to do with eschatology. Yeah, exactly. What verse is that? 1529. It's 1529. So it takes some... Some context. He's really not saying here that you should be baptized. No, not even close. He's saying, what's the point? Right. They're saying, this is something you guys have been doing. Uh-huh. They're saying, do this. Right. they baptized for the dead. Yeah. Stop it. Dead. Yeah. Yeah. So because they were dead, because of that, they used enough reasoning. You think, oh, oh okay, so I should go baptized uh, for granted and never got baptized. Right, right. Well, and the thing is, is like, <clears throat> you know, they're, they're trying to interpret these, and, and maybe they're interpreting them. Uh, incorrectly, or whenever you go to, to, to figure something out, you've got to first rule out what is not possible. Yeah. You know, God's statements about Himself and uh, uh, Him being the only God are unambiguous. Yeah, like, I know. Um, so, whatever the other things mean, it, they can't mean that there is more than one God. Right. So, you know, whatever it means, it can't mean that. Right. And, and, and that's just basic interpretation of Scripture, you know? It's basic logic about anything. Oh, yeah, I know. So, what about the Bible? 
What do they say about the Bible? Well, quote, we believe the Bible to be the word of God as far as it's translated correctly. I gave you that. That's the eighth article of faith of the Mormon church. They also say, wherefore, you see that after the book has gone forth through the hands of the great and abominable church, that there are many plain and precious things taken away from the book, which is the book of the Lamb of God. That's in 1 Nephi 13.28. So why is that verse important? Because it opens it up to that argument that, well, there's been great stuff taken out. We need to add it. Right? We, we have the true, true, true words. What do they say about the Book of Mormon? Quote, they literally come out and say the Book of Mormon is more correct than the Bible. It's history of the church. Chapter 4, verse 461 in the Mormon writings. What about the devil? The devil was, spor- was born as a spirit after Jesus in the morning of preexistence. What? I mean, the of presence. Yep, the morning of preexistence. I know. Um, a plan of salvation was needed for the people of earth. So Jesus offered a plan to the Father, and Satan offered a plan to the Father, but Jesus' plan was accepted. In effect, the devil wanted to be the Savior of all mankind and to deny men their agency and to dethrone God. I don't even want to really address that one. Uh, That's just so far beyond. But remember, this isn't the stuff that's taught when they're coming to your door. What do they say about God? Well, God used to be a man on another planet. The Father has a body of flesh and bones, as tangible as man's. God himself was once as we are now, and is an exalted man, and sits enthroned in yonder heavens. Which planet? Kolob. Yep. God the Father had a father. That's from the writings of Joseph Smith, History of the Church. See, God resides near a star called Kolob. Sorry, not technically a planet, it's near a star. God had sexual relations with Mary to make the body of Jesus. That's Brigham Young, Journal Discourses, Volume 4. That was written in 1857. God became a God. Good Latter-day Saints have the potential of becoming gods. Quote, end quote. Teachings of the Prophet Joseph Smith, page 345 through 347. Then shall they be gods because they have no end. Therefore shall they be from everlasting to everlasting because they continue Then shall they be above all, because all things are subject unto them. Then shall they become gods, because they have all power, and the angels are subject unto them. That's in the Doctrine of the Covenants. Yep, church is out, so (laughs) I guess Mike ended early. (laughs) Um, But I hope you guys kind of get the gist. Number one, define the terms. Um, I'll try and see, I'll work with the tech guys, how I can put up that chart of the big differences so you can just maybe print it out and stick it on the inside of your Bible. Um, but mainly, define, define, define what you're talking about, okay? I'll say, how many authors do you have? Right. The Bible is written by 40 different authors in three different languages over 1,500 years on three different continents. Yeah, and it never disagrees. Thousands of archaeological Yeah. How many do you have? Where's your Right. I, yeah, <laughs> that is really good. I know, exactly. Well, let's close in a word of prayer, shall we? Father, um, we just want to ask that as we go out, that you would give us these opportunities, that we can have these conversations. And God, first, let us... Uh, Just be seasoned in grace, God. Don't let us be haughty or arrogant in our dealings with them, um, for they are lost, Lord, and let us always remember that, that we are trying to win souls, not win arguments. And just uh, protect us as we go throughout our week. In Christ's name I pray, amen.